0: Oh, Lord, stir in us such a love for you that we say yes to what you whisper to us, that we too say, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. How do we make a decision to say yes to something and to follow through with it? How do we get to yes and follow through with what he's inviting us to? The Bible's filled with pendulum swings, people deciding yes and following through, and then eventually no, and they walk away. Adam and Eve are so happy with God, and then they go against Him, and they get kicked out of the garden. Noah and his family say yes to God, but the people that they're living with, the whole world says no, and the flood comes. The prophets and priests say yes and are faithful until they say no and are unfaithful. Same with kings. Back and forth, back and forth. Even we say, we love you, we love you, we say yes to you, God, and then, I don't know, is it boring, does it get repetitive, is it too hard, is it inconvenient? Whatever the reason, we drift away and say no. the harshness of life, bad teachings... Distorted images of God, busyness, confusion, the voices of the world, whatever the reasons, we people through the millennia eventually walk away. And God's response undeserved, deep, deep love to all whom He has made. This love has moved God through the millennia to keep wooing his people back with, to use the words of Hosea, cords of loving kindness and ropes of love. Decades after Hosea, God told the no people of Ezekiel's time, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Fast forward several more decades after Ezekiel and we come to the know people of Jeremiah's time. God told Jeremiah to say, I have loved you with an everlasting love that lasts forever. I have kept on loving you with a kindness that never fails and I will build you up again." And the people still eventually fall away. What would have helped people then, and indeed us today, say yes and stay at yes? In Isaiah today, we heard of an unprecedented plan that God was, would use, which when fulfilled 740 years later, would produce two yeses that stayed yes, the first through Mary and the second through Joseph. Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call him Emmanuel, which which means God with us. And sure enough, 740 years later, after a lot of expectancy had been built up among his most faithful followers, God made his move. We all know the story. He appointed the Jewish girl Mary to be the virgin who would conceive. He sent his angel Gabriel to announce his life-impacting and unprecedented plan to Mary. What was Mary's decision-making process that got her to yes and kept her at yes? I'm asking because last week, Canon Ross talked about discerning the voice of God, knowing that you know that you know that a message is from God. And he mentioned Nikki Gumbel's five C's: commanding scripture, compelling spirit, counsel of the saints, common sense, and circumstantial signs. Well, Mary had an angel visit her, and that was definitely not on Canon Ross's list. <laughs> Might be duplicated occasionally somewhere with some people, I don't know. But Mary also asked Gabriel one question, and asking angels directly, standing right in front of you, is probably not on the list either. Mary asked, How can this be? She got an answer and then just said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Her yes gave God permission to have the Holy Spirit come upon her and the power of the Most High overshadow her, thus conceiving God-made flesh inside her. Well, is there anything at all in her decision-making process that we can imitate Sort of. Although we won't likely ever have a fearsome angel standing right in front of us, much less one we can ask questions of, when we do have a question about a decision, we can pray to God and hope that the Holy Spirit inside us will reveal an answer. Today in our gospel, we also heard of Joseph needing to make a decision Joseph, a just man from the line of David, had been appointed by God to fulfill the house of David part of the Isaiah prophecy we heard earlier. While Mary had been given a heads up about what would happen to her, should she say yes, Joseph had been given no such heads up beforehand. Mary was simply found to be pregnant, passive verb tense, Her pregnancy was alarming news to Joseph and had grave implications. Joseph knew he hadn't slept with Mary, but someone had to have slept with her, a betrothed woman to get her pregnant. Joseph found himself in the thick of a consequential predicament and needed to decide what to do. Was there anything in his decision-making process that we can use? We often find ourselves in predicaments. What are you going to do? And that catches us blindsided. What are we going to do? Well, unlike Mary, Joseph couldn't ask an angel what he could do. And since the Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out on all flesh yet, he couldn't ask the Holy Spirit to guide him inside him. His tools at that stage were reasoning and honorable behavior. So Joseph came up with two options. Option one As a just man, he'd be expected to turn to the Levitical laws and follow any that applied. Under Old Testament law, because Mary was betrothed, the man who slept with her would be considered an adulterer. And in that case, both the adulterer and the woman he slept with, in this case Mary, were to be put to death. This action was the right thing for a just, law-abiding, law-abiding, man to do but he was also a compassionate man so option two divorce Mary quietly which is what he was thinking of when he went to sleep and then God gave him a dream the angel in his dream gave him option three don't we often we think it's we're so binary we do this or this and then there's this other thing that we maybe thought of right off the bat and rejected it because it's impossible I can't do that Well, the angel brought that impossible thing and said, this is option three, take Mary as your wife. Joseph got to yes and to follow through because the angel in the dream seemed to know him. He said his name, affirmed his heritage, Joseph, son of David, assured him that you don't have to be afraid and reminded him of the prerogative power of the Holy Spirit of God. The messenger conveyed God's deep personal love and care towards Joseph. It was as if God himself had said, I see you. I know your heritage. I know you're afraid. And I know an option that you should put back on the table." Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This overture of love and care uh, on God's part moved Joseph to say yes to what he had previously thought was impossible, taking Mary as his wife. When we add Mary and Joseph's decision-making experiences to Nikki Gumbel's five CSs, are these criteria enough? the five Cs plus prayer, plus really thinking hard about dreams we get. Let's just say it's enough. Let's say these criteria have given us enough evidence to get to yes. Why do we still resist? God has clearly... Already told us all sorts of things that he would love for us to do. Love our neighbors as ourselves, feed the hungry, shelter the poor, entertain strangers. And let's not forget his first job description take care of the earth. We've been given a lot of commandments and things he really wants us to do on how to bring transforming light and redemption into the world. So what's stopping us? What's complicating it? When Richard Stearns, living the life as president of the luxury China company called Lennox, became convinced that, quote, being a Christian or follower of Jesus Christ requires more than just having a personal and transforming relationship with God. It also entails a public and transforming relationship with the world. When he realized this, he quit Lennox and became president of World Vision Are we afraid that saying yes would massively disrupt our lives or the lives of those we love around us? I am. I was. I didn't become a priest until the girls were older and out of the house and like just don't rock the boat. I I was afraid. Dennis's resistance uh, was because he thought the disruption would be bad. This was his resistance to accepting Jesus, really accepting him as his Lord and Savior. Dennis had gone to an Episcopal preschool, grade school, boarding school, knew all the Bible, knew the drill, but mm, he didn't want to really accept Jesus in a transformative way. And then we want to know why? Because he said, if I accept Jesus fully into my heart, he's going to send me to Africa or something, and I don't want to do that. I would hate that. The fear of being put in an uncomfortable place was trapping him at no. And if we're trapped at no, how have we been doing in putting ourselves in a position, intentionally putting ourselves in a position, of being bathed in God's perfect love, which casts out fear. If perfect love casts out fear and we're like, I don't know, I'm afraid it's going to do this or that, come to God. Bathe in the love. It'll, he'll cast out the fear. Are we too weary and heavy burdened to say yes? Well, how have we been doing in bringing our weariness to Jesus so that he can give us rest? Another block is distractions. The Ignatian monk, David Lonsdale, in his book, Listening to the Music of the Spirit, the Art of Discernment, observed that being attracted to what is less good than God keeps us away from saying yes to God. Being attracted to what is less good than God. He's not labeling things as bad. It's just less good than God. What percent of our time are we attracted to things that are less good than God? Do we want to be mindful of that ratio? And how have we been doing in confessing those attractions to God? so that we can literally be forgiven and transformed. Resistance also might come from grief or a sense of unworthiness. He can't use me to come from hurt or anger. I don't want to serve God. Look at what he allowed to have happen. And how have we been doing in bringing the hornet's nest of our feelings and our grief to him? to bring our traumatized selves into the loving arms of the Lord. I'm in a small group which has been meeting for over 25 years. Every other week we answer three questions at dinner before we get into our book discussion to gauge how we're doing in our closeness to God. The first question is, what was your closest moment to God in the last two weeks? We go around the table and reflect on, oh, I guess I didn't have one. That's helpful. Or we hear stories of like, oh my gosh, this happened, and I felt so close to God, and that's helpful. We we hear each other. It's an accountability thing. The second question is, when did you grieve the Holy Spirit? The answers are things like, I really felt like a, I was supposed to call someone, and I didn't. And then I found out that she was really in distress because she'd had a car crash, and I feel terrible. We hear stories every other week from all four of us of how we said no dinner. And the third question is, when did you say yes to the Holy Spirit, and what happened? And then we get to hear every other week beautiful stories of what saying yes did and how great it felt. And still two weeks later we come back (laughs) and we have the no again. There always seems to be the no intermingled. But going through these questions every other week pauses us to be mindful of God's goodness, the God whom we say we love and do love. And they remind us of how good it feels to say yes to him. When Mary said yes, the fully divine, fully human Jesus started growing within her, and Mary couldn't help but burst into song of of praise and prophecy to her cousin Elizabeth. Her unique, unprecedented experience of love itself, living and growing inside her, changed her. The bodily intimacy of such love inside her produced an outward, unshakable love and trust in God from that day forward. Now, I know we don't have a literal baby, love incarnate, literally, physically inside us, but we do have the Holy Spirit inside us. Is it trapped in a little, like a bottle with a genie in it? Can we take the cork off and let the Holy Spirit come out? Are we constraining the Spirit? When Joseph said yes, his assignment to step up and be God's stepfather, he accompanied Mary on this extraordinary journey. When we say yes to God, we'll have challenges for sure, but oh, what joy awaits us. When we say yes to God, what will happen? Bad, He'll send me to Africa and I'll hate that. We're good because it's God who loves us. Let's pray. In the words of St. Teresa of Avila, Christ has no body now on earth but yours, no hands. Yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which to look out. Christ's compassion to the world. Yours are the feet with which He is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands with which He is to bless. O Lord, may it be so in our bodies and lives that You would move through us to love and bless and help and redeem out of darkness, out of the slimy pit, out of whatever place you deploy us, people, that they too would sing like Mary, that we too would sing like Mary and say, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Amen.